Welcome to Rooster Radio. My name's Andrew Montesi with James Begley for another episode of Rooster Radio, and uh, this is a milestone episode for us. Um, we've got Kate Potter here in the uh, Rooster Coop, our first female guest. Um, James, I'll throw over to you because, look, there has been some discussion about Rooster Radio focusing on men, and um, look, I just want to throw to you to perhaps just kill that discussion off. I guess we can go to down two paths, Andrew. We can sort of pretend that this is just business as usual and this is all part of the plan or we can pretend we can talk about your hesitancy in uh, oh. in wanting to in wanting to introduce Kate. No, this is that's a disgraceful <laughs> controversy. Call. This did not come up in the production meeting. You've gone and just stitched me up here. No, no. I it, now look, there's been a lot of discussion about this because there's been talk about creating a spin-off show called Hens Radio. Um, it's been why why is why are you burying your head now in the notebook? Look, I don't think I don't think we should be discussing the future plans of Rooster Radio just yet and our spin-off um, look, Rooster channels. Perhaps let's just get to the point. I think I think I think I should introduce Kate because um, we're really excited to have Kate here today. Um, I've known Kate, and I'm very proud to say for. 17 years maybe, let's just run with that, 17 years, um, and, and Kate has been in the media and PR game for pretty much most of her career. Um, Kate is a digital media specialist at Hughes PR, um, and also came from six years in uh, from working with a company called Media Monitors, which changed its name to iCentia. iCentia. Mm. Yes. Thank you. Um, Kate also has some side passions, which include the winery, Corio, um, photography. If anyone follows Kate on social media, she'll you'll know that she posts some amazing pictures, and also very much um, her two children, Fox and Miller. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, so Kate wears a few hats, and today we're really keen to talk to her more specifically about all things media, PR, social media. We're going to look at the different um, social media platforms, how they're used, some of the pitfalls. Um, and also, we're going to talk about how she manages to juggle, I guess, all the passions in her life. So, um, firstly, Kate, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. And, and being our first female guest, and I will, I will say that this, uh, this is a, a sort of a formative day for us. So, yeah, it's please, a big day. any feedback as we go along is welcome. The first of many, I'm sure. Mm, yes. Absolutely. I'm going to start with a question. And this question is, was there any inclination at school that you were going to get into media and PR stuff? I did want to get into public relations when I was at school, probably due to an absence of any other particular passion. (laughs) Uh, My stepmother worked in PR, so I kind of saw her go through all the stuff at home and all the uh, schmoozing and the handwriting of the cards and all all that kind of stuff. And so I was... Uh, exposed to that world as a teenager Um, but I came into PR in a very roundabout way as a lot of people who work in PR come into it in a bit of a roundabout way Um, and I'm no different. What what was that roundabout way? Um, I wanted to travel when I finished school didn't we all? Um, So I finished school and then went overseas for a year um, and you know, worked in like a Foldy Towers hotel and all of that kind of stuff. 
Um, and then when I came back, my stepmother said to me, look, why don't you just get a job at Media Monitors while you figure out what you want to do? And then I was still there almost seven years later, having worked in a number of different roles there. Um, but uh, it meant that working there, I was a supplier to the PR industry. So almost every PR agency and every marketer in Adelaide was my client. Mm. So I built up those relationships from a supplier point of view. That's a really interesting point. I was going to bring this up a bit later, but I mean, we have mentioned in previous conversations um, what a competitive world uh, advertising and PR is. And there's a lot of kids at school who set their sights on that's what I want to do. And I'm wondering how much of an advantage it was for you to kind of sidestep your way in and, and, and sort of how that experience was for you. It was a massive advantage. And for me, I at Media Monitors, now iCentia, I listened to the news eight days a week, five days, sorry, eight hours a day, five days a week for six years. So I knew news, you know, mm. I knew what made a good news story. I knew how people worded things. And it's almost like I learned to write for news by listening to news all the time. And I was so good at quiz nights. <laughs> I knew Getting like knowledge. everything that was going on. I knew all the ministers, all the sports results. So tell us the role of a media monitoring company. Like, What does that company actually do and how do they do it? So when I first joined Media Monitors, this is going to make me sound so old, we still used cassette tapes wow. to record radio. What is a cassette? I know, right? <laughs> um, I'm not that old, I promise. Um, but then quickly moved to digital soon after I joined the company. Um, but basically, Media Monitors, as the name suggested, um, monitors radio, television, newspapers, magazines, and now online. And companies pay Media Monitors to provide them with all of that content so that basically they don't need to hunt for it themselves. But how? How do you in a, in a practical in a practical sense? How do you keep track of radio and TV and a lot of man hours, a lot of people, people literally sitting there listening, um, transcribing, summarising what's happening on the radio, watching the news and summarising every news report as it comes to air, and then literally coming into the office at 11 p.m. as the first run of the papers comes out, and with the help of computer. Um, you know, optical character recognition and computer systems and all that kind of stuff decide, yep, a client's going to be interested in that article. No, they're not going to be interested in that. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. In every city, um, although that said, they've centralised a lot now, but um, yeah. So you'd literally arrive at work and potentially you could put some headphones on and listen to a radio show and work out that that part relates to that brand or that business. Yes, so um, it, you'd often listen to it in high speed, so you would kind of it's obviously like a chipmunk. yeah, like the total chipmunks. So you would kind of you know, um, you know, Sonia Feldoff talks to um, Dorothy from the CWA about jam is one line, or um, Nicole Hark talks to. Uh, the premier about um, you know advances in a new policy and you put a lot of detail into that one so you really got to make calls about whether things are going to be of interest to your clients or not so how big is this world of monitoring we're talking about 
mainstream media monitoring, but obviously social, it's massive as well. And there's various platforms where you can pay monthly subscriptions to monitor every single word that is said about your brand. How big is it? How important is it um, from a, your perspective now as a social consultant when you advise uh, clients? How much emphasis do you put on this brand protection type of stuff? Well, it's really important to know what's being said about your company and about your industry and about your competitors before you can measure success and before you can gauge what everyone is saying about you. Um, so it's really shifted now with the, you know, obviously with the shift in media, having moved to new media and all of that kind of thing. And I did leave Media Monitors kind of before that whole shift really um, took hold. But it's incredibly important for big companies to kind of have that intel. Um, and then from there, they can kind of analyze it and figure out, um, you know, are our key messages that we want to communicate um, in the media, are they actually being communicated? And what are individual journalists saying about us? What are individual mm. commentators saying about us, etc.? It's probably, I mean, I would suggest it's important for almost all businesses to be doing some sort of monitoring, at least of their industry. Um, even if it's an ad hoc sort of way of just keeping an eye on the papers and seeing, you know, who's talking about what. If it Google alerts. You, Google alerts. <laughs> I mean, maybe on that. What? What is Google alerts? What's what? <laughs> what sort of software is out there for, let's say, a small business who might not necessarily be able to afford to utilise a major agency or spend with Icentia? What can what can a business owner practically do to keep on top of trends and their, their sort of area? Well, there's two sides of it really. There's traditional media and there's digital media. Yep. Traditional media is a lot harder to keep track of and that's why you have a company like I send here to help you. Although that said, um, now that traditional media outlets are using social media outlets to further spread their mm. content, that side of it is becoming easier as well. But there are things you can use like Google Alerts, which is a free service provided by Google where you literally say to Google, you say to Google these are my keywords, email me whenever something new comes up that mentions my keyword. And you'll get emails from Google every day or however often it happens, um, allowing you to kind of keep up to date with, with what's happening. The other thing you can do is obviously if there's activity on Facebook is making sure that whenever there's a Facebook page that you want to know when they're saying something, you make sure you turn on get notifications for that Facebook page so that any time they post, you'll know about it. Mm. There you go. I didn't even know that Google had that function. Oh, mate, I've relied on Google Alerts for years. It's a, it's they're a great, so handy. <laughs> yeah, so handy. What I found is they just, particularly in the last couple of years, they've become less reliable. Like, so... Google won't pick up something for some reason, well the alert, it won't pick up the alert. So I've found that I've had to use a few other things, like I use a little platform called Mention, which, oh, yes, um, yeah. which is pretty good as well. But there's lots of stuff out there that you can use. And yeah, I think it's essential for almost all brands to be doing something in this space. And just out of interest, what would some of the clients, what's, what sort of key phrases would they use? Would they use just their brand name? Or do they go, you know, what sort of words or phrases? Yeah, well, it depends on what your brand name is. And this is a really, really fascinating area to get into now because, you know, we have people come to us and they are 
in the point where they say, you know, I want uh, assistance with my marketing and PR, and they've already decided on a business name that is super generic <laughs> and super, you know, like, um, you know, professional business relations or something like that. <laughs> I have no idea if that's actually a company. If it is, I'm sorry. But, um, you know, more and more, you're, if you want to accurately measure who's talking about you and how they're doing it, you need a unique business name because you need to be able to accurately search for that using tools like Google. And it also even comes back to having the ability to get the domain name you want. You know, mm. www.probusiness.com is probably not going to be available. <laughs> but, you know, www.roosterradio.com.au. Hey. Um, I haven't bought that yet. <laughs> Someone's going to nab it and then I'm going to have to pay big bucks to get it back. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it is as, you know, you would search for your business name. Uh, hopefully you have a unique business name so that you don't throw up all of this irrelevant content. You would search for competitors and you would also perhaps, depending on what your industry is like, search for news around your industry. Before we jump into uh, you know, looking at some of the platforms and their uses, um, what would you do, the Roosters NRL Club is dealing with a major issue at the moment. One of their players on Australia Day was caught doing some lewd things to an animal. Uh, how typically, in a, in a social media sense and a PR sense, what are the key strategies in crisis management? So something occurs, the CEO gets a call at 11 o'clock on one night and there's an issue. What would happen in your world? Well, you would hope that the first thing that the organisation has done is have a crisis management plan already in place before any of this has even happened. So often companies come to us and there's a crisis and they've never even imagined or never even thought about what might transpire during a crisis, what a potential crisis might look like, what is the processes for dealing with that crisis, and then you know how are they going to um, enact all of that. So first of all, um, before anyone has a crisis, you would hope that they would have a crisis management in, in plan in place. Um, the next thing you would need to do, obviously, is figure out what's happened, who knows about it, how far is the spread, and then what you're going, what actions you're going to need to take to attack it head on. If you there's, you know, within social media, if you don't provide your voice in a story, often other people will fill that vacuum and they will then start kind of creating a story themselves. Mm. You know, if, if you're silent on it, it will still be talked about regardless of whether or not you're part of that conversation. So at what point does not having a message to acknowledge that something's happened on your social media platforms, like at what point does that then become an issue? I'm assuming something happens at 11 o'clock one night, you know, are we talking this, there should be a message on your website and on your social media platforms that night or within 12 hours or? Well, you want to make it considered. You don't want to rush it and potentially say the wrong thing that could make it worse. So, you know, you need to have obviously a balance between speed and the message being right, you know, um, because you don't want to come out with one of those awful apologies where they say, oh, sorry if anyone was offended, which is like the most non-apology ever. Yeah. Um, you know, so you really need to make sure that you have kind of considered 
what do we need to say what's the best way for us to say it and where are we going to say it um and you know they're all social media allows you to acknowledge it as well i guess before having your message down pat you can at least say you know we understand that an incident has occurred um we're currently dealing with it just so it's not this like this period of silence exactly. everyone's talking about it everyone knows about it everyone's tweeting the club or tweeting the player and and it becomes it becomes this huge snowball thing you can still acknowledge it um while you're getting those ducks in a row because you i think you're right is you know allowing time to still get the the message in place and understand all the facts of the story as well because the flip side is people jump to get proactive which is good but they don't actually have all their ducks in a row they don't actually know 100 percent what has happened and in an attempt to get on the front foot they actually derail their own communications process okay when we start talking about the platforms i want you to talk about your favorite platform first and why Mm, it is always evolving but at the moment it's got to be instagram (laughs) I'm a typical, you know. I'm, Why is that? Why you're not. You're not typical because no. your photos are too good. <laughs> yeah. They're far too good. Yeah. Why don't you share any crap? Oh, know, with well, a bit I of blur appreciate it. Thank you. Um, Instagram's a really popular platform at the moment, and it's grown at such a huge rate. And there's a number of reasons why it's so popular. Um, number one, it's really, really clean. You know, the look of it, the design of it. You're not constantly um, bombarded by, you know other bits on the screen and other ads and bits and pieces you know when you scroll through your feed it's really clean and fresh and um, focused Um, it's also really popular because people are really selective about who they follow on Instagram it's not like you know oh, I'm friends with someone on Facebook because I feel like I have to and then I see their content um, come through and you know I roll my eyes every time they you know do some sort of vague booking you know life's so hard type of status update um, um, pe- people are starting to be get, a, get a bit cynical with Instagram now I think it's kind of a little bit over its heyday even though it's still my favourite I think it is a little bit over its heyday at the moment because people are starting to realise that people you know, it's that old saying of social media is not real life, it's a highlights reel. And nowhere is that more true than Instagram. Um, and, you know, there can kind of be a few eye roll moments when, you know, you see someone posting, you know, the perfect cup of coffee before, you know, and it's cold before they drink it kind of thing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Instagram. Just on that, I've got, I think this is a no-brainer. And I've talked to, to my wife, Sarah, about this. And that is, I think there should be a shitstagram <laughs> and that is you, 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 you contrast like a piece of your world, whether it's your room, and you might pick an angle, a typical Instagram angle, of beautiful light and just a, a sort of certain portion nice, of nice your room. Filter, nice right? filter. Nice sort of rug on your bed and look out of the window. And then you sort of compare that to a real life picture of actually what your room looks yeah, like yeah. in the same instance. <laughs> yeah. And it just, just to highlight that, you know, this isn't, like real life, yeah. like you're dead right. And I think I think people do like to see both, albeit I myself always still get drawn back to looking at people on beaches and mm, you know, yeah. holidays mm. and you know, it's kind of human nature. Isn't it? Inspo. Inspo, Inspo, mate. Inspo, totally. Well, a lot of people are finding now that Snapchat is filling that void. 
So just so just before we move on from Instagram, yep. um, in in a in a business sense, yes. When do businesses use Instagram, and how I guess is it unique? If you are a business that has a really visual story to tell, so like someone in tourism or fashion or um, uh, homewares or you know, something gorgeous really, then Instagram is the place to be. If you are the type of business that would have typically, if you had the budget for it, advertised in women's magazines, then you should be diverting that budget to Instagram. Um, and these days, you know, there are a lot, there's a large portion of the community that no longer get their news, their daily news from traditional media in any form. So they are turning to things like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat um, and other, you know, ways of, of getting information about events that are happening and things to buy and things to taste and things to see. This probably leads in beautifully into, I guess, what James and I were talking about earlier, but which is finding the right social media platform for your brand and the fact that not all platforms work for all brands. So you mentioned that Instagram is great for you know those really visual type audiences. How how should a brand evaluate where they should fit? Well, the first thing they need to do is figure out who they're talking to. So who is their target audience or target audiences, and how do their target audiences consume media? You know, where are they? Where do they spend their typical day? Um, where are they getting their news? Where are they getting their information? And, you know, there's a whole range of ways that you can figure that out. Um, you know, whether it be market research or whether it be looking over someone's shoulder in the bus mm -hmm. to see kind of what apps they're using and stuff like that. Um, but it's really important to find out where your audience is and how they consume their media before making a decision about mm. where you should put your marketing efforts to try and reach that target audience. And what are the generalisations? In terms of the platforms then, I mean, what, what are some of the recommendations? Oh, it got to be on Facebook. Everyone's on Facebook. So <laughs> Facebook's like the utility, is it? It uh, crosses all boundaries. It is a misconception that Facebook is the utility because quite often you get organisations that are perhaps more business-to-business -business focused and they think, oh, well, you know, got to be on Facebook. But the reality of it is, are people using what is the reason why someone is on Facebook in the first place they're there to catch up with friends and family they're there to get news of the day they're there to kind of see what's trending they're there to be entertained they're there to be inspired they're there to be informed and if your brand doesn't necessarily fulfill um, a, a reason why someone's there in the first place and is going to marry up with that then you're not going to succeed because your content is going to be at odds with why someone is using that platform in the first place. Facebook is just fascinating and continues to just grow in its world dominance. Um, you know, we're looking at some stats today about how Facebook is now taking some ownership of the search space. Um, Facebook for business is really interesting because it's now a closed walled, basically a walled garden because um, you know brands spend a lot of time amassing likes and followers and now you can only reach that audience pretty much by paying for it what was the stat one six in, six one percent yeah. so if you post on a Facebook business page now it's only going to reach 
6% or something like that of the people who have liked your page. So to reach the rest, you've got to pay some sort of money to be able to um, reach the people who've already liked your page. So they've so, stitched it up so beautifully. The why have they done that? The reason why they've done that is because if you have like 500 friends and you may be like a couple of hundred business pages or even more considering that you might have liked, you know, maybe one a fortnight over the last eight years that you've been using Facebook. And then um, that means that all of that content together, you could potentially be seeing a couple of thousand pieces of content in a day. And Facebook doesn't want that because if, you're, if they're showing you a couple of thousand pieces of content in a day, you're going to run away and say, this is too much, get out of my face. So they need to find a way to curate what they're delivering to you so that it is relevant to your interests and not too overwhelming. So every day Facebook are making decisions about which content they're going to show you and what they're not going to show you. Hence, if you're a business page, there's a large um, part of your audience that's not going to be seeing your content mm. if Facebook's deciding that they're not going to show it to that individual. But they're their paid offering is so good as well. Oh, it is it's so spectacular cheap and value for money. Oh, the value is unreal. So for a very small spend, you can be so targeted as well. You can tar target by region, by age, by interests. It's a beautiful thing. And I remember there was a big uproar as Facebook gradually um, cut off access, I guess, for that organic stuff. But then when you look at it, to boost a post and reach that audience or reach your targeted audience. 20 bucks. 20 bucks. It's, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. I love it. Mm. And just on that, I mean, we saw somewhere, um, Monty, I think recently, where they talked about the reason that Facebook has an advantage over Google even in search is because you provide your details to Facebook to log into Facebook. So they can track everything you do, whereas Google is obviously a search platform in you can go and use your computer separate of that, but with Facebook, it's kind of the gateway. The amount of data that Facebook has on each individual is just extraordinary. We, we, when anyone ever signs up to Facebook, they tick the box and say, agree to terms and conditions and sign away a whole huge range of data that marketers can then use to their advantage. Okay, so with social, and this is a terrible question because it's so hard to answer it well but how do you measure value from a social media campaign I know it's going to depend brand to brand but what are the sort of metrics that you would build into a campaign it there's a whole range of objectives that you might be trying to um, meet with a social campaign um, it could be awareness of one of your brand's key messages it might be um, a something like an action, like sign up to an email list or register your interest for something on a website, or it might be straight out sales, like how many people bought our product. Um, so the great thing about social media, and in particular, something like Facebook advertising, it is, it's super measurable, really measurable. So you can see exactly how many people were delivered your content, how many people then took action, like whether they clicked something or whether they um, opened an image or whether they clicked on a link or whatever it might be. And then you're able to um, you know, gather intel from that as to whether your objectives were met or not. One of the arguments against social media is that it can be seen as a really long game. You know, mm. If you are just doing it 
not for you know direct sales by this product today type of stuff then it can be seen that whole kind of brand building brand awareness stuff can be seen as a really long game mm. um, and that is the stuff that's harder to measure because you know if you're getting someone who's you know buying a house at a land development and that land development has advertised in newspapers and billboards and social media and TV often it's quite hard for for someone to then say oh this is the reason why I'm buying this this block of land you know do you think people are clear enough on their goals when they set out with social um, I mean that's just sort of what I've found when I talk to small businesses or whatever it's starting social for the sake of social um, because they feel like they've got to do it because everyone else is doing it, but there aren't any goals in place. Do you think that's a really important factor in, in measuring what they do? Absolutely. It's so important to, to set out your goals, but also, you know, like I mentioned before, set out your target audiences. You know, who does your ideal customer look like? Who are you talking to and where are they spending their time? And then match those up with your key messages that you're trying to communicate. So there's, there's three things really that you've got to set out before you do any social campaign. Who, what are your objectives? Who are you talking to? And where are you going to be talking to them? I guess some of the benefits of this um, confusion or people not understanding really those, then hence this is where you come in. Correct. <laughs> So are there any sort of typical pitfalls or, or, or issues that you see businesses or people come to social media with? Like, are there any sort of patterns? Um, I think a lot of it is uh, a lot of people don't kind of realise the long game and they might post for a couple of months and then they think, ugh, this is too hard, I'm not getting immediate results and then off they go and then someone stumbles across their Facebook page and they haven't posted since, you know, like August 2014 or something. Mm -hmm. And that can make your business, you know, that can leave a bad impression on your business. Um, and it might be that that particular platform wasn't working for you or the way you were going about it wasn't working for you. Well, how do you, how do you maintain momentum then? Um, planning. So kind of thinking about having a calendar in place that kind of talks about all your major marketing activities that you you know, your traditional marketing activities that you might already have um, in the diary. It looks at um, things that are happening throughout the year in the calendar, like, you know, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, Christmas, Easter, you know, all of that kind of stuff or any of those relevant to your business. Um, and then there might be particular campaigns that you're wanting to tap into that might be run by your partners or whatever it might be. I think planning is really important to make sure that you don't just day after day think, oh, I can't think of anything to post today. Eh. Yeah. And social really integrates with these other departments, relating departments, PR, marketing, advertising, all of that sort of stuff. Do you find... Legal. Legal. Do you find it challenging or do you think that's one of the benefits? How do you see this integration of this whole media and marketing space? Well, one of the issues for small business is, I mean, the role of a social media manager has kind of split in probably the last 18 months, two years. And there's kind of two main roles that a social media manager holds. One of them is as a strategist. So, you know, you've got your overarching social media strategist that does things like planning and 
um, advertising and marketing and all of that kind of stuff. And then you've got a community manager and a community manager might be in charge of um, creating content, um, responding to comments that come on the page. They might be in charge of, um, you know, kind of all of that day to day touchstone kind of stuff. And a lot of people are combining those roles and doing it all. And one of the problems, well, not problems, but one of the challenges for a, one of the opportunities <laughs> for a, excellent. One of the opportunities for a social media manager is you really have to be, imagine you are your own media company. And at a traditional media company, you have an editor, a journalist, a photographer, a sub-editor, a digital production manager, a um, customer service manager, an advertising manager, and a graphic designer. And often a good social media manager will have to be all of those things and a concierge. <laughs> wow. It's big. It sounds it does and it sounds incredibly layered and it sounds sort of almost like it's becoming any other department within a business you've got a senior manager and then you've got a, a lackey who has to do a lot of the boring stuff but has to be across the messaging and um, you know c consistent because they are the, the front line between the business and, and the community um, we haven't touched on LinkedIn yet yep um, why use LinkedIn beyond just the typical, okay, I'm a corporate and I want to look schmick in my suit and I want people to think I'm really important? LinkedIn's a different beast because as we've talked about, you know, you kind of have your social media manager who might manage all of those other platforms, but LinkedIn, um, organizations have people within their company who are using LinkedIn and representing their company in a public forum um, and they may or may not know what they're doing. Um, so a lot of work that I do is LinkedIn training. You know, I go into organizations and I, um, you know, sit around a boardroom table or I stand up in front of a room of people and tell them, number one, all the technical aspects that they need to know about using LinkedIn properly. And then, of course, all the kind of PR stuff, which is about making sure that your business is um, you know, represented professionally and effectively on LinkedIn and also making sure that you are represented professionally and effectively on LinkedIn. Um, I think there's a lot of businesses who are using Facebook that would be better placed to um, redirect their efforts to LinkedIn because it really is becoming a place where people know this is where I need to go for business development, professional development and um, you know networking basically and it's now a content platform as well and that's oh. what I love about it the I used to use Twitter a lot for business related professional content based on who I was following but I find that LinkedIn now clears out all the other stuff um, you, you go to LinkedIn you know that you're just gonna get pure business related content you're not gonna get all the crap that's on Facebook from who knows what Twitter's a bit the same, there's anything and everything on Twitter. You go to LinkedIn, just business content, and as a result, I've found that, I guess per impression, the engagement is a lot higher as well. When you post business-related content, you get far better click-through rate. Um, I think it's awesome for content. You know, funnily enough, New York Times put out an internal like innovation report a couple of years ago and it was meant to be internal and it got leaked and so we all got to see what was in the New York Times report and they listed the LinkedIn 
publishing platform as one of their competitors for the next couple of years because instead of getting to work and typing in www.nytimes.com people are going to work and going to LinkedIn and reading stuff there as opposed to reading stuff in the paper. One of the elephants in the room then is Twitter. I read recently that four uh, senior executives were sacked or made redundant or quit. I'm not exactly sure. I personally stopped using Twitter a couple of years ago. I just found it it just too full on and uh, cluttered. Um, I mean, the sentiment is that it's struggling a little bit. Where would you see Twitter going? Twitter is still has a really loyal, engaged user base, and it's particularly popular with media, both individual journos and media outlets, and it's also particularly popular in political circles. So it's not so much about is everyone there, but who is there in terms of the people of influence. So it can be a really valuable network to create relationships and have conversations about certain issues. And um, it does a really good job of kind of organizing conversations. So, you know, if you're at an event or if you're watching live TV or, you know, if there's something happening in the news and you want to see what people's reactions are to, to that issue then it's a really fantastic platform but there are a lot of people who are turning away from twitter as just kind of like a general social media network mm. now and they're kind of using it for that more kind of special event type of stuff and there are some arguments out there that twitter kind of needs to innovate if they want to continue um, being relevant mm. so what's the future for social media then where's everything heading what's What's coming up in the next couple of years, do you reckon? Well, Snapchat's a really interesting one, um, and it shows that people are more and more valuing authenticity. And this is kind of the, the antidote to Instagram, I guess, because with Snapchat, you can't fake it. You can't upload something from a while ago. You can't, um, you know, record a video in advance and then put it on Snapchat. It's all live, it's all happening right now, and it's also a place where people are quite willing to um, suspend the perfect and be real and so, authentic. So just explain how it works, because there will be a lot of people in the thousands of our listeners, the, <laughs> the huge audience. Um, yeah, just explain the process. So Snapchat is a way of communicating with people, and you can either communicate one-on-one -on -one by sending them a snap, or you can communicate with a group of people by adding um, images and short videos up to 10 seconds to your story. So when you add things to your story, you kind of create this little layered, um, well, story that lasts for 24 hours, which people can view. And a lot of people are using Snapchat as a way to, like I said, authentically show um, their day-to-day -day life and communicate with people in that way. Um, I, I was interested to see that Vino Mofo, which is a um, big startup, uh, wine industry startup, originally from Adelaide, um, did their first Snapchat deal on uh, for um, you know wine sales. I think it, just a few days ago. Um, and it was, you know, only for, for Snapchat. So that was interesting to see. And there's a lot of organisations like the University of Adelaide has just started Snapchat, um, you know, and organisations that, you know, have a bit more of a youth focus, um, I guess. Um, one of the interesting things about Snapchat is it doesn't have a really obvious 
a way of figuring out how to use it. You almost need someone to show you all the little tips and tricks if you want to use it properly. It's like um, Chinese whispers almost, you know. Um, it's not until someone actually shows you how to snap to add a contact, add a contact to your friends that you actually figure out how to do it. And it's not until you either Google it or someone shows you how to make cool face effects that you can that you can do that you know so it's kind of like a little hidden language which frustrates a lot of dare I say it older um, social media users but is almost like its own little language for uh, its community to wrap up the social chat um, how do you personally use the different platforms and 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 why do you use them um as I mentioned before, Twitter I use when there's breaking news. You know, you find out the facts and then you want to know how people feel about the facts. So that's when you go to Twitter. Um, or live events or if you're watching TV, like anyone watches live network TV anymore. But <laughs> if you were to do it, then you would talk about it on Twitter. Um, it's great for, great for a bandwagon, Twitter as well. Oh, I love like, a bandwagon. Oh, moral outrage. What's Hashtag. Everyone, what's everyone saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really behind this yeah. and start retweeting yeah. some stuff. If I read a really interesting article, then I'll, then I'll often tweet it because, you know, I just feel like that's kind of the platform for that kind of media consumption. You know, people are there to kind of discover new interesting things. So that's a place where will I you, might... Will you tweet this chat when I, we put it up? I will totally tweet this wow. chat. We'll at least triple our followers. Up. <laughs> <laughs> um, Instagram I use for beautiful photos. Um, I will never post anything to Instagram that is blurry or out of focus or dark. You know, it's it's got to be beautiful if it's going on Instagram. Um, and some may say that that's kind of curating a false view of your life, but I don't care because if my feed looks beautiful, then that's all I care about. <laughs> Guys, I've got some breaking news here. Um, Nolsey on Twitter. Shannon Noll. Nah. Oh, Mark, Mark Knowles, Knowles, captain of the Kookaburras, has just, this is bizarre that he's tweeted this at this exact time to us, you and I, James. Loving the Rooster Radio podcast over here in India, boys. Insightful and interesting. Thumbs up. Well, exactly as we're talking world about. World Player of the Year last year, captain of the um, Kookaburras. I think it shows you the caliber of our listeners, doesn't <laughs> it? This is amazing. I'm sorry to cut in, Kate, but that's By all just, means. It's just a big shows moment. you how Twitter is all about breaking news. <laughs> Where were we? Uh, anyway, uh, LinkedIn I use to talk about what I'm doing at work for a couple of reasons. Obviously, I want to tell people, you know, what it is that I'm up to, but also as kind of like a pseudo sales tool. So I might be doing um, some training somewhere and I might mention it on LinkedIn, uh, which does two things. It talks about what I'm doing, but it also kind of says, hey, hire me for training. Um, but on all social networks I'm kind of really aware of um, giving people shared value so something that brings value to me I want to post about um, but I it's also really important for me to make sure that I don't always post stuff that are about bringing value to me it's got to also have something that brings value to people that are connected to me in some way so, for example, if I listen to an amazing podcast, mm -hmm. then I might post about it on LinkedIn and say, hey, I found this really fascinating. 
enjoy. Um, so, you know, you kind of got to make sure on LinkedIn, particularly, I think you got to mix it up. It can't always be, Hey, buy my latest product, you know, <laughs> take my service. You've also got to kind of have that shared value, um, proposition. Um, then Facebook, to be honest with you, I use it for groups. Most of all, it's so useful for groups. You know, I'm a member of a social media club, Adelaide group, and also a member of an Australian social media community managers group and a member of a few photography groups. And I find them really, really valuable. And I do a lot of consuming of that group content more so than actually proactive posting. That's interesting. Regroups. Um, I mean, is there any sort of benefits for brands? Do you think? In groups, setting up groups, creating groups? Probably, I think probably not. I think at the moment, groups are kind of one of the things that people love about Facebook because they are incredibly usable and incredibly um, useful. Um, and, you know, there's this one social media guru called Gary Vaynerchuk who says marketers ruin everything. Mm. And, you know, hopefully marketers don't ruin Facebook groups as well. This is really strange. You're running around taking photos of us, James, as we're trying to have a serious... Are you discussion. tweeting live, James? Well, it's not a pretty picture, so it'll have to go on Twitter or, <laughs> or Facebook. We're going to have to filter the crap out of that just to make it usable. Just quickly, Foursquare. Yes. Did I miss... Well, what, I've never heard of this. What is it? Foursquare is a location-based um, app that you use to check in to places. It's kind of a mix between... Facebook place check-in and TripAdvisor, I guess. Um, it provides you with, you know, re little reviews and tips and things like that. Foursquare has kind of gone out of favour a bit. I used to love Foursquare and I still do love it for when I travel because it is such an awesome way to keep track of places you stay, places you eat, places you go. And I can go back over my Foursquare history. You know, someone says to me, oh, is there anywhere good to go in, you know, Morocco. Yeah, or St. Louis or whatever. And, you know, so you can go back over your Foursquare history and say, yes, that's the restaurant we ate at. It was great. So how does this, I guess, social advisory consultancy work fit in with what you do at Coriol the Winery? So my stepfather runs Coriol and I, like a total dork, made my first website when I was 14 years old. And then I, a couple of years later, I said to my stepfather, hey, you need a website for Coriol. Why don't I make it for you? And being the good sport that he is, he said, sure. And then I was able to use them as a guinea pig when I was first interested in social media for business, way before I did it as a job. Um, you know, back when I was still working for Media Monitors, I would say to him, hey, I should make a Facebook page for your business. So I still do their social media because, you know, it's my favorite place in the world. I got married there. I love it. You know, it's, it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful part it's of the one world. Of the, one of the better spots you could ever find, Coriol. And I used to work in Celador. When I turned 18, I started working in Celador and I loved it. You know, people say, oh, no. Tourists come to Adelaide, but that is such a lie because I met them all every weekend. And unfortunately, due to, you know, just life, I haven't worked in Celador in a while, but it's an awesome thing to do. Um, 
Kate, we were, we didn't necessarily want to just focus on um, you know being a mum and being in the workforce because that conversation has been had to death and it's actually not that interesting. I don't think it's a bit cliche because <laughs> we're all in that space. I've been looking after Flynn for a few days this this year and a few days this year, but <laughs> a few days this year. How 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 do you flip modes and go from a mode at home to then a corporate mode? Um, how do you make that adjustment? Childcare. Um, It is difficult because obviously as a social media manager, like social media never stops, you know, there's always stuff happening. So you do on days that I'm at home with my children, I do need to make sure I keep an eye on things. And I also kind of have to put a bit of trust in the fact that my out of office message says, if you need me, call me so that I don't have to always check my emails all the time. I just think constantly checking your emails is just a way just to live a half life mm. you know never fully anywhere mm. um, but when I'm I have I did a little bit of working from home and I really disliked it I felt like I was doing a bad job at everything um, as opposed to going into the office doing the work being at work going home being at home it's a problem isn't it being half committed to everything in mm. this world that we're in where we're always connected and it's interesting yeah feeling like you're not doing anything well, but you're just doing stuff, That's just it. existing, just... There's yeah. this saying that says, Where, wherever you are, be all there. And I think that's something that is really important. You know, don't, if when you're at work, you work. When you're at home, and you know, this doesn't apply to everyone. There's lots of people who can quite happily work from home and send off a couple of emails and then put on a load of laundry and all that, but no, not me, no. Yeah, for me, it's been a massive challenge with a couple of little kids and something that I'm continuing to work on. I think I'm getting better. I mean, I have to check with my wife and see how she evaluates that. But I was terrible initially being able to switch off and change roles and do that sort of stuff. But I think it's something we've all, you've got to be really conscious of it, I think. And yeah, not be afraid to turn off the phone every so often. Bex, you're pretty good at that, I reckon. Yeah, switching, on switching off. off. Oh, I I have to. Otherwise, um, firstly, because my brain seriously stops at about six o'clock in the evening. <laughs> like Sarah doesn't even bother talking to me about decisions to be made because I'm just hopeless at it. So in some respects, my brain um, makes the my life easy. Um, but I, I I admire people who can flick modes quickly because um, I think it'd be really difficult for two or three days a week to be in a home mode. Or and it, and it worked for two days and, and vice versa. I think I think it's a, it's a real skill. Um, it's to prob- be able to it's do probably that. even harder for you or and people as consultants as well because it's not just you're not just working for an employer. Mm-hmm. You're you're working for a stack of different brands. So you're thinking about even more different things. Do you find that even challenging? Like the the consultant juggle of different brands, different needs. All of I that do stuff. absolutely. You know, like even uh, like, you know, coming down here to Lee Street, I'm like, okay, I've got two clients that are doing things down here. And so I bought my camera and so I'm, okay, can I take some social media content while I'm down here? You know, Mm -hmm. like I'm always switching back and forth between all the different clients that I work on. And that's the life of a consultant. Kate, thanks for coming into our salubrious um, office. Yeah, what, do you, what do you reckon of the office, by the way? Um, we, we like to ask, which feature do you stands out the most? Definitely the artistic paintwork. Mm. What's artistic about it? <laughs> um, it's a little bit of industrial chic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's incomplete. We had that 
we did spend a couple of hours really early on when we moved into the rooster coop here and got really excited and we, we painted for two hours and yeah well, you know we're gonna we'll come back tomorrow and finish it off and at the moment we're still about a foot short of actually reaching the roof one day we'll get there um one day our oh, our offices of work in progress won't stack up because we will have been here over a year yeah, so anyway. Anyway, look, Kate, thanks for coming in and in your he hectic schedule making a window for Roost Radio. And we're really pleased that, uh, firstly, you're the first listener to give us some feedback, <laughs> um, but also, secondly, for, uh, for coming and providing such a great insight into a world that is evolving and changing and uh, people are learning about it every day. So thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Rooster Radio Podcast, hosted by Tracks Leadership's James Begley and Apiro Consulting's Andrew Montesi.